Welcome everyone to your ongoing journey or leap into a new world of opportunity. Inside Japan podcast is a stepping stone for your next adventure. It is a show filled with informative interviews, perspectives on local life, and how you can master your path into the unknown. For today, kick back and listen to the wisdom of our host, James. James here of the Inside Japan podcast. Thanks for coming in today. As always, this show is brought to you by jobsinjapan.com and also the Patreon supporters out there. This week, guys, I'm extremely hype. I is hype this week. This is a podcast I thought I could never, ever make happen. Uh, this is something when I went to the interview format I did two years ago, I tried to make this happen then. And I got a stern no. It would never, it's not going to happen. I was told by many different people there that this is not going to happen. This is something that this organization does not do. But if you follow your dreams, like I have done, <laughs> it's not a dream of mine, but it's definitely, it definitely was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, I finally got a yes. And uh, it's been a long time in the making. It's been a lot of things I had to do to make sure this episode could go live. But I'm happy to say, it is going live now. You are listening to it now. Uh, so that interview is an interview with someone that works with the JET program. And they are talking all about everything I could ask. As you can see right now, from the, if you're looking at the, at the timer here on your podcast listener device there, this, this interview is an hour long. Uh, I usually do 30 minutes, but it's an hour long here because I wanted to ask every single question I could ask or I could get because I want, I know this is not, you know, these kind of events don't happen very often, right? This is like seeing a unicorn, guys. I know the JET program might not ever say yes to interview again. So I wanted to make sure I could ask every question that you guys might have. All those, you know, old wives tales you hear about the JET program, I ask about in this interview. And uh, I, I really, I'm really proud of it. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm proud of it. I'm proud we could do this one. I'm hyped about it. And I know some of you guys say, I don't want to be in the JET program. I don't care about being in the JET program. I'm not in the JET program now. I never want to be. That's cool too. I do try to make sure I have something for you guys too. So I ask the person I interview here, Kia. I know I, I pronounce her name like four different ways this interview too. So sorry about that, Kia. Uh, but I make sure I handle how, you know, how she got her position in the JET program, how she kind of moved her way through Japan too. So I think it's, it's, it's going to be something to listen to for everyone, not just people that want to be in the JET program. I really worked hard to make sure that was the case. But obviously it's mainly about the JET program. Uh, they wanted to share five tips uh, to make sure you don't get rejected from the JET program. Kind of not, I don't want to say stupid reasons, but kind of uh, uh, reasons that you shouldn't get rejected, that some people do get rejected from the JET program. I want to make sure, they wanted to make sure I share with you guys. So that's what we go through in the interview at uh, one point in the interview too. Um, also I want to go through, they, they just changed to all paperless format on the jet pro of the jet, uh, application. So obviously, uh, we were actually recorded this before that change was made. So if you ever hear a mention of mailing anything, just ignore it and everything is online now. So, uh, I tried to change everything and, and get all the, uh, uh, the instances of me saying mail, I take it out and say online. You might hear some funny cuts there, by the way, but, um, yeah, I've said enough here. Here, this is, this is, um, um, a podcast I'm really proud of. I'm happy, happy we can make it happen. Hopefully, this helps a lot of people. If you like it, if you know someone that wants to get a Jeff program, please share it. I hope this episode can be something that helps a lot of people. And uh, yeah, I just got to say again, thanks to the Jeff program. Thanks to Kia for doing this. It took a lot of her hard work too to make sure, you know, a lot of her pushing, you know, the head off and stuff to make this happen. So I really thanks to Kia to, for doing that. Thanks to the Jeff program. Thanks to everybody there. Thanks to everyone I talked to. Um, uh, who else did I deal with there at the JET program? Also, thanks to Kelly. Uh, she did a lot of stuff too. So, uh, yeah, I just got to thanks to everyone. Thanks for listening. This is my interview with someone that works at the JET program, Kia.
Enjoy. All right, guys, very special guest today. Someone known from a little program you might have heard of that is known as the Jet Program. I'm talking today with Kaya. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you, James? It is nice to talk to you today. And uh, yeah, I'm going to hopefully, you know, everyone knows what the Jet Program is, but it has this kind of mysterious aura, right? So let's kind of try to tear away some of those mysterious layers and learn a bit about working for Jet and, you know, how some tips on how you can get hired for Jet. So thanks for taking time for this for sure, Kaya. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here today. Yeah, so let's learn about you first. So, you know, um, what do you currently do at Jet? What? Yeah, just let us know that first. What do you currently do at, with the Jet program? Sure, yeah. Um, so currently, I work as a Jet program coordinator at the Embassy of Japan. Um, as a lot of our applicants and alumni know, uh, there are about uh, 19 different consulates of Japan throughout the U.S. Um, and we work at the embassy, so we're essentially the, the home office of it. Uh, we oversee... Uh, the application going through the entire process uh, from start of Tokyo sending us all the guidelines to everything from processing all the thousands of applications we get in. And then, of course, to review an interview as well. Uh, I help recruit for the program. And then with my fellow colleagues in the office, we help make the application process work. Okay. So, yeah, it's a big job for sure. A lot of a lot of different uh, tasks involved for that. Um, so, yeah, with, with that position, though, you do have to had work on the JET program before, correct? Um, so I actually was not a jet myself. Um, I, I like to say that I infiltrated the government in Japan uh, by not being an alumni of the program. Um, but no, yeah, I, I went to a different teaching English program uh, as well. Okay, cool. So you don't have to, you can still work for a jet if you weren't a jet, right? <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Confusing yeah. as that is. Okay. So how did you, uh, <laughs> so how did you make though the, that transition? So I'm sure you were working in Japan with some company and you had a an okay time, I guess, a great time. How was your experience in Japan? <laughs> <laughs> I did have a really good time. You know, for as amazing as the JET program is, there are also tons of other really cool programs out there. I actually went through um, my alma mater, my university, had a teaching English program over in Japan. Uh, the city of Morioka up in Iwate Prefecture sort of asked uh, our university, because they have such a good connection, to send over three to four graduates every year. Um, and so my school, Earlham College, which is out in Indiana, you know, they hired me to go teach there for two years. So it was sort of a, a direct private hire uh, sort of situation. Um, and yeah, it, it was an amazing experience. I'm constantly nostalgic about it, always watching videos of like the festivals. Uh, it was definitely the best two years of my life. And I know a lot of Jets can say the same about their experiences over in Japan as well. So it was an amazing opportunity for me. And even though I wasn't a Jet myself, I knew you know, what a prestigious program the JET program was. So I wanted to help make that opportunity possible for others as well. Yeah. So I guess two years, though, one could say is, hey, that's not too long. Uh, what were you thinking yeah. when you said two years is enough for me to kind of go back home? Sure. Yeah. Um, so that was actually probably the biggest difference between um, my program through Earlham College and through the JET program. Uh, JET, of course, is you know one-year contract starting out and you can recontract up to five years. But the program I went on with Earlham was actually only a two-year program. So you can only go for two years. There's no recontracting because they want to keep a, a sort of steady flow of graduates coming in. Um, so, you know, we started back in the 1960s. So we were kind of like the precursor to JET, which is always interesting for me to think about. But yeah, I'd say the government of Japan definitely, you know, made some improvements and adjustments to the way the Earlham College program was run. And yeah, so they've they've uh, sort of 
introduced more ways to stay longer in Japan and to really get yourself into that community for for up to five years, if possible. Those are jet unicorns, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It used to be three years. Now they changed to five years, I guess, eight years ago or something like that. I forget. Not, not pretty long ago, right? It the five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then, okay. So now you, 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 you come back to your home country, say, okay, I want to do something still involved with helping people get to Japan, I guess. So yeah. what was the hiring process for you to get hired on uh, the JET program? Not on the JET program, you know, working for JET. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, so when I came back, I actually had really good timing in that my alma mater was looking for someone in their study abroad office to help people go study in Japan. So I sort of uh, slipped into that very easily. And that was an incredible opportunity. And from there, I thought I want to go even bigger and better. And the JET program was the next step for that. Um, I hadn't really had much experience working with such a massive organization. You know, we get 4,000 applications every year, and I really wanted to get that experience and learn about what it was like to help process all those applications and get such large numbers over to Japan. So I, I reached out at the right time. Um, it was right in the middle of application season when, they, when the JET program was hiring at the embassy. And I had just been turned down for another position at a different university. So I was a bit surprised to be offered uh, the position myself. I definitely thought they would hire an alumnus of the program. But I guess my enthusiasm came across pretty strongly. Um, and I'd had a similar experience, of course, through the Earlham College program. So it was it worked out pretty well. And I came right in in the midst of it uh, in December. Uh, so I was definitely seeing all the processing and reviewing going on. And that was definitely a hit the ground running from the start sort of job. Oh yeah, that's cool, and it's, you know that shows you don't you, you do you do hear that that jet hires jet right, but you're, you're living yep. proof that that's not uh, that true. If you have the great experience like you did, you have the exact same experience. That's pretty pretty exactly. good experience, yeah, pretty good resume yeah. for sure. So, <laughs> okay, uh, so yeah, it's a little bit more, I guess, about what you're doing now. So I know every you know every season is probably different for you, but what's kind of a normal day like for you? What kind of do you have normal hours? Do you have to work a lot of overtime? What kind of you do on a somewhat daily kind of basis? Yeah. Oh, we definitely get overtime, especially during fall uh, when the applications come pouring into the office. Um, but yeah, uh, typical working hours here at the embassy are 9 to 5.30. We do get a very long lunch break, which is nice. Um, and then uh, I'd say most of our day is spent uh, corresponding with our applicants, especially around this time, we do get a lot of inquiries uh, coming up to the application. And, you know, people want to know how they can apply, what's best for their statement of purpose. And we do try to, like, answer all their questions. Sometimes in October, November, we get 100 to 200 inquiries every single day. So a lot of our time is definitely spent answering those. Yeah. Um, uh, let me stop you there. I want to know is I'm going to ask you a few tough questions today, maybe. But what this is the first oh, tough yeah. one? How many, what percent of those questions could, could, be easily answered by checking the frequently asked questions on the website. Oh, so many, honestly, so many of them. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what I figured. About 75% probably could be answered if, if applicants read the FAQ on the website. <laughs> there you go. So here's the follow-up then. Is, yeah. is there ever someone that has is so relentless that they've, you know, you put a little note and say, okay, this person obviously is not a good fit for the JET program because they can't check the FAQ or something like that. Is that, is that ever happened? Um, we've definitely had times where we begin to recognize applicants if they call like every single day. Mm. Uh, we've never been to the point where we're like, this person is not going on the jet program because they call us because okay, okay. on one hand, yeah, they, they do call a lot, but it just shows that they're really enthusiastic. And even if they're not reading the FAQ, you know, we do try to support them as much as possible. So yeah, we just make a note in the email. Like this is also found in the FAQ as well. So please <laughs> check that out next time before you okay. call us. That's good. That's good. Okay. So yeah. 
I guess um yeah final one so what about if, if someone else is there is there kind of a easy path to be a coordinator if you want to be I know it's probably easier for people on the jet program right now but what, what do you do just wait for there's an opening a jet program and, and apply or how do you kind of if you want to be take get your job someday how do you how do you go about that definitely um I'd say we do like to see people who are active, you know, even if you're not a JET, just being active in your community. Um, but especially for the JET program, you know, my program with Earlham didn't really have such a, a large network as JET does, you know, with the Association of Jets over in Japan, there's 5,000 people over there and they have such incredible support networks and communities and special interest groups that people can be a part of. We love seeing when others join those councils, whether it's the local council or the national council to help their fellow jets. So that is really, really nice for us to see on a resume when someone is applying to a coordinator position. And of course, you know, there are coordinator positions at each of the different consulates of Japan throughout the U.S. So they they do open up. We have had some people who have stayed on as coordinators 20 plus years, but there are definitely other locations where coordinators, you know, head out every two to three years or so. So I definitely recommend, you know, when a jet is coming back from Japan, that they just check out um, the embassy of Japan or other consulates of Japan, like job openings, uh, as well as the jetwit.com page. That was actually how I found this job at the embassy of Japan was by checking the jet employment pages. Mm, yeah, it's always worth it to just, and it's a, it's a newsletter, right? I think you can put your email in there and they'll send you emails every time there's a new job or something, I believe, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. 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 So just definitely do that. And I guess, um, yeah, before we start, before we break into the application process, helping people get hired for Jet, I guess the last question would be, um, since you had two years in Japan and you liked it, um, is there anything you kind of wish you knew when you first started that would have made your two years even better? Uh, you know, some, a lot of people are just starting their Japan life on Jet right now. Uh, sure. You know, I'm sure they would like some advice that maybe helped them have a little more fun. So what kind of is something you wish you knew before you started Jet, that w- uh, not Jet, started your life in Japan that would have made it more fun? <laughs> Yeah, um, I definitely would have brought a lot more taco seasoning packets with me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Perhaps some Reese's candy. But um, no, honestly, I would say the most important thing to remember for anyone who's going to Japan, not even through Jet, but um, anyone going over there is that your time is honestly so short. And it's really important to take advantage of every opportunity that comes in front of you. I'm sure many of our candidates have heard this, like when they ask during interviews, you know, what do you wish you'd known before you go? About half of our alumni on the interview panels will say, say yes to every opportunity that comes to you because you're only going to regret them. You know, in the future, you're going to look back and say, oh, I wish I hadn't spent so much time in my apartment watching YouTube videos. You're (laughs) going to wish you had gone out and experienced different festivals and taken part in different clubs. And I think it is important to put yourself out there and try to make those connections, even if it's just for a year or two while you're on the program, Mm -hmm. um, or even five for our jet unicorns, of course. But hopefully at the end of your time there, no matter how long or short, you'll be able to say that you put your best foot forward with the community and you took advantage of all the opportunities that people offered to you while you were there. Yeah, and I think one to add to that, there's not always going to be another year, right? And especially on the jet right. program, there is that kind of deadline. But even in any other job in Japan, right, there's not always going to be that next ch- chance, right? So exactly. think about that, right? You, you, so if you have a chance to do something, just do it, you know. And uh, it takes a little effort sometimes, right? I know, what, I know what that's like. When I first got to Japan too, I was like, I was like watching like apartment tour videos in my apartment yeah. in Japan. You know, it's like, what am I doing? <laughs> but you know, that's like, you, you that's not the good right way to do it, guys. So yeah, that's good advice there. Okay, so now let's kind of let's kind of break into like. Let's call this the second half. I think it's going to be the longer section of the interview here. Let's talk about getting hired with Jet, how you do that, some tips for to help people out there. So first, tell me, I, the application process, is it's a long thing. We could probably have a, you know, 
three hour talk about that. But <laughs> tell me a little bit about the process. How does it work? You know, let me know everything you can about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, here at the Embassy of Japan, uh, we receive guidelines from our home office in Tokyo. It's Claire and several ministries in Japan that, of course, oversee the JET program. Um, so a lot of people do think of our office as like the be all end all sort of place. But in reality, um, we are just following the guidelines that we receive from our home office. They're the, the main people who sort of make the JET program happen, aside from the application process, which is uh, definitely a focus in the DC embassy. Uh, so essentially, once we receive those guidelines, you know, we do like to post those for our applicants. Uh, we want to make sure that everyone's getting the information that's most up to date. So we do do a lot of correspondence with our other coordinators so that when they're going out recruiting to other universities and career fairs this fall, that they have the most up to date information to tell applicants if anything has changed regarding the JET program. Um, and then, of course, we start working on our online application. We have been trying to move more online these past years. I'm sure you remember um, from many years ago, I remember myself when JET program required, you know, three different copies for the application, but we're definitely trying to move more online. Uh, a lot of universities are doing the same. We definitely see more transcripts come to us as online digital transcripts. So we are trying to accommodate those as well. Uh, and then, of course, you know, as the application opens, we get a lot of online application submissions, and then people also submit to us a hard copy document. Um, and then we have a team of processing staff who join us in the embassy. Because we do get several thousand applications, there's only three of us coordinators in the DC office, so we definitely can't handle all of those on our own. So we hire a team of about six to eight people, typically uh, other JET alumni who have been in the DC area are looking for a job. So this could also be a really good opportunity for someone who's just gotten back from JET and is in the DC area and is looking for a sort of like part-time job where they can help learn the JET program process and how the application is sort of made. Uh, and then, of course, once those applications are processed and all the documents are confirmed as having been there and there's no you know, missing letters of recommendation, for example, then we move them on to the review process. And we have a team of about 50 plus reviewers uh, from all over the United States who are very kind. They're also amazing JET alumni and they spend hours and hours, you know, pouring over these applications, reading them, scoring them, and then we decide when they go to interview. Okay, so there's a lot there. I thought I got like two or three questions here. I might ask you a lot of questions here because yeah. I got a good opportunity here talking to JET here. I got to take advantage <laughs> of my chance here. So sure. uh, uh, you said there's like the 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 kind of the Tokyo embassy, the, not embassy, I forget the word you said, but the Tokyo office gives you mm -hmm. the guidelines, right? right? So is it a little bit, how much room for interpretation is it from the individual people like Kaya here? How much can, is it just, you're looking at this person's resume and you say, okay, they did this. So I check off this box from the guidelines or is it, is it kind of robotic in that way? Or is there still room to kind of to interpret things? Um, it is definitely, you know, there is a score guideline that we're given from Tokyo. Um, so when our reviewers have any questions about something on an application that they see, they're like, oh, I'm not really sure if I should score this as, you know, part-time work or full-time work or um, anything in between, then we definitely do want to provide them with answers. We sometimes do consult with our home office in Tokyo just to say, we're having a little bit of uh, confusion about this one applicant, you know, we want to get your confirmation on this. So we we just want to make sure that we're following their guidelines as strictly as possible. 
Okay. And then I guess one more would be, uh, you know, you get an application online that says all the normal kind of work history, uh, you know, school history, education, history, all that stuff. And then there's also something known as a statement of purpose, which if you're listening to this, to this show right now, you know what a statement of purpose is. Uh, <laughs> is, is there, is there a difference in weight of those two items? Can you let me know that? Is there SAP more important or is the application more important or is it 50, 50? I would say the statement of purpose is actually the most important thing to us. We, take a lot of information from that. And it is really important for us to see, you know, in an applicant's own words, not just them typing out bullet point by bullet point on their application, but why they're interested in Japan, why they think they would make a good a teacher, a good exchange between the US and Japan and themselves, how they think they can bring their skills into the mix. Um, and sometimes that doesn't come across exactly in the application. You know, you could have someone who has really, really incredible bullet points on their application. You're like, oh, wow, they did this activity. They did this activity. Those are all great. But then in their essay, they're like, I don't like kids so much, but I want to try this anyway. And that <laughs> doesn't sound so great to us in the end. Mm, okay. Okay. That's good. And I guess uh, last one before we move on. Uh, is there such a thing as being too qualified for the JET program? This is kind of a rumor that's going around. Some people are a little salty when they get turned down, but they got a great resume. I, I checked out their SOP. Like, oh, this looks pretty good SOP. I don't know. Is it true that you can be too qualified for the JET program? I would not say that, honestly. Uh, we do definitely get people with master's degrees. I've seen a couple PhDs apply as well. Um, there are definitely people who have a lot of experience. And, you know, uh, JET program did away with the age limit a couple years ago as well. Um, it, like, I believe a decade ago, there was an age limit imposed. Um, but now anyone of any age can apply. Um, so we've definitely had people, you know, who are 40, 50 years old go on the program. The main reason we see mostly bachelor's degrees people applying is because the only requirement for the program is a bachelor's degree. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. oftentimes it is like uh, it is considered more of an entry level job for most people, I would say. Um, so, yeah, we just want to see that people are enthusiastic and that they have the drive for it. So, mm. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that you can be too overqualified for the program. Okay. Um, we just might question it a bit more if someone was saying, oh, well, I've done, you know, this one job for my whole life and now I want a totally new switch on everything. And I'm not sure why I want to go teach English, but I just want to do it. So we might question that a little bit more. Okay. So it's not about that they might not have, they might, not have too many skills. I think I said that right. They might not be too, they, they might not be, <laughs> they might be an awesome teacher, but you're just kind of wondering how will they handle it to kind of, they'd say they're teaching masters for 10 years in America. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden they go to entry level in Japan. They might not be a great fit. That's what you mean, right? Yeah, we, we are definitely, we have definitely considered that in the past, you know, how will someone do in Japan? And of course, that's why we want to bring a lot of people to interview as well, because uh, in their application, they can come across as one way, you know, very competent. But um, in reality, like in front of interviewers, maybe some people freeze up and they just, we don't think that they would be good in front of a classroom of students. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's okay. That's so many, so many uh, things, so many things to think about within resume and SOP. And, and that's the thing I think because people, you know, people that get turned down kind of get salty about it. there's no there's no feedback, right? And that's probably better you don't get feedback, by the way, because you'd never hear the end yeah. of the emails. But yeah, so that's kind of the part that makes people wonder and feel like, oh, Jed is so mysterious. Why do they choose this person over this person? Mm -hmm. But people got to remember there's so many different parts, right? I, I don't know how many 
items are on your checklist, but I'm sure it's like a million, <laughs> right? There are quite a few. And I will say that is one of like, you know, my personal regrets, honestly, is that we aren't able to give any feedback. But like you said, it really is just a matter of we don't have time. We get so many applications and, you know, we get over 4,000 every year. So when half of those, for example, don't make it to interview, if every single person asked for feedback, we would be answering emails until July. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it really is more of a time thing. And we do wish we could provide feedback, but it's, yeah, it's just not able to happen sometimes. Yeah. And, and also one thing important to say, so like, but like you said, Tokyo, you're kind of just following the instructions of Tokyo. It's not like the DC embassy is some special place that is harder <laughs> on, you know, harder on guys or something, right? It's just like, you're following the same rules of every, every other embassy, right? Exactly. Yeah. We all receive the same guidelines and DC is the main office that implements, you know, the, uh, the recruiting process, as well as seeing through the processing through. So we are the ones who are checking all the documents for mistakes. We're also looking to see if all the documents are there. You know, if a statement of purpose hasn't arrived, but the rest of the application has, for example, um, all those sorts of things. But mm. no, like every single office in the U.S. receives the same guidelines, especially in regards to interview. So yeah, as soon as we get those, you know, every coordinator at the Jet Consulates hire a hire a team of interviewers. And and we all have the same things that we look at um, and just really hope we can find the best people to sort of improve that cultural exchange between the U.S. and Japan. Yeah. OK, so let's put that. To, that's a good we can put that to rest right now, then, that there's no like, well, the <laughs> Vancouver consulate, they like to if you if you have experience in Japan, they'll definitely choose you. But the D.C. consulate, they don't care about that. Right. We can put that to rest right now. Okay. Nothing okay. like that. Yeah. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. So that's it. Um, uh, how about that, though? Um, there, is there a, a, a cap on numbers, though? Like D.C., you can do 50. Vancouver, you can do 25. Is there any kind of numbers thing like that or no? No, nothing like that. We definitely do see that some consulates have larger amounts of applicants, um, particularly like Chicago, for example, they get over 500 applicants uh, applying to interview there and then interview about half of those, for example. So, you know, a, a consulate like Alaska might get fewer because there's less applicants who want to go to Anchorage or mm -hmm. who are in the Anchorage area. Um, so people typically aren't flying up to Anchorage to interview. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we do also get people, especially those who live in East Asia or in other parts of the world, you know, they have to interview in person. So a lot of times we'll see increased numbers when we have more study abroad uh, people. So for example, if someone was studying abroad in Japan, when they were interviewing for the JET program, Hawaii might see increased numbers. Um, mm. So each year it can really change depending on where we're getting applicants from. So one year a consulate might have the most numbers and the next year they might have third most. Okay. Okay. So it's not like a set. You don't have a, a, a quota, right? Or do you have a quota? I guess no, I don't know. No, okay, quota. no quota. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's kind of go. You have, you have something here you want to kind of share with, with people out there. It's called five tips to avoid failure in the jet program. So you can, let's walk through those a little bit. So can you tell me uh, some, one, one of those and we'll talk about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, like you mentioned, we do have a couple tips that we wanted to share with people. Um, this is in response to something that we've seen happening over the past couple of years. Uh, we of course oversee all the application processing and like I mentioned before, we do try to find if there are any missing documents. And if there are, those applications can't go on to review. Yeah. Um, so we 
really do see a lot of really great applicants, unfortunately, you know, not make it to review because they are missing something or because they didn't read the application instructions so carefully. And we want to try and avoid that as much as possible. And there are like five key areas that we see them hitting up against. And so that's why the embassy and our home offices in Tokyo approved us to run a sort of a do it right campaign, Mm -hmm. um, as we're calling it. We want to make sure that these tips are are known to our applicants so that they can be aware of what to look for and what to avoid, essentially, so they can make it to review. Yeah. So said, said more directly. I know you said it beautifully and nicely. Uh, so <laughs> a lot of a lot of uh, applications get in the trash because they forget something. They do something stupid, right? Just a straight, straight way to say it, right? If you say it straight, yeah. We definitely don't put them in the trash. They do just get shuffled aside into our filing cabinets if they oh. don't have all their documents. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, I just want to make sure. So like, you don't like, if you forget a paper, it's not like, well, let's call that person and say, hey, you got to send this thing. There's none of that. It's like, you don't have time for that, right? <laughs> Well, we do try to save as many applicants as we can. Um, Sometimes we do have some technical errors on our application portal. So definitely if it's a fault on our part, you know, we do get recommendation writers who submit letters of recommendation online. So if we find that there's a technical error with one of them and we're like, oh, that's that's on our that's on our part, you know, we reach out to the recommendation writer and we'll tell them, hey, you know, there was an issue with uploading your letter. Could you send it to us as a PDF? And I'd say, honestly, we do get quite a few of those. We're definitely working on it. But um, Mm. I think we contacted three to 400 recommendation writers last year just saying, we need your state, we need your, uh, your letter for your candidate so that we can pass them through to review stage. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's that's good stuff. Let's get let's get to the five. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'd say, uh, probably the, the number one tip that we all thought of immediately when we were going through what we should tell applicants was getting official documents. Um, you know, for the JET program, of course, there is a requirement for official transcripts. And that's something that is required by our home office in Tokyo, um, specifically because Japan is a very paper-based society, as many of our alumni know, and the boards of education need to see official transcripts. We want to make sure that no one is trying to, you know, hoodwink a board of education by saying, oh yeah, I totally studied Japanese. And and we find out later that their transcript was fake and that they, in fact, did not study and they don't have any Japanese language skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we want to make sure that the, the documents are official. And what that means is that applicants aren't printing them off from their like unofficial student portal. We do get quite a few of those. Uh, and we <laughs> do have to reach out to the applicants and say, this is not this is not allowed. Uh, this will not be a successful transcript. Um, uh, okay. So. We want to make sure that people know to request those official documents early because they really do take a lot of time. And fall is certainly a recruiting season for a lot of different jobs, not only the JET program, but for many other companies. And so schools, registrar offices are definitely backed up. It can take six to eight weeks to get an official transcript, depending on the school and how big it is. So, you know, as soon as someone is interested in the JET program, we do recommend that they apply with their registrar office to get an official transcript. Yeah. And also I've seen like schools will say, okay, yeah, we can give you a transcript in two weeks. Right. And that's, but then they get into the fall and it, it, it they change on the website. It'll be six weeks and eight weeks. Right. So yep. don't, don't think it takes a certain amount of time because then when it gets busy, it changes. Right. So exactly. this is just, this is a smart thing to do. If you really are serious about JET, it's not a big deal to get it early. Right. You can't get it too early, I guess. Right. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) The main thing we want to see. Yeah, that's the main thing we want to see in an application is an official transcript that's actually there. (laughs) There you go. You heard it here first. Don't make that stupid mistake. There you go. Next one. 
So uh, the next tip we have is sending every single transcript. And of course, this is written out in the instructions. So we hope people will read them. But we do require every single transcript from every university or college that you have attended. And that means like wherever you have earned college credits, we need to see those classes. So that's specifically because there are schools in Japan when they're hiring their ALTs, they want to see certain classes or certain skills that that ALT might have because they're asking for someone of, for example, a scientific background. And so they want to see, you know, maybe you majored in Japanese studies at your main university, but at a community college before that, you took a lot of science classes. And so the, the schools in Japan do want to see that. And that's why we request every single transcript. And unfortunately, a lot of people send us only the one with their bachelor's degree on it. And yeah. so we have to say, actually, we need these other three that you've listed. And that does take time. And unfortunately, there are some people who, you know, aren't anywhere near that school anymore. Maybe it was a community college on the other side of the States, and they have to walk into the office to get it. So unless they have a friend in the area, it can be pretty hard sometimes to get those transcripts from schools you've attended way in the past. Mm, okay, that's a good one. Yeah, I've never heard of that. And that's something you have to do. I mean, if you want to get in the JET program, you got to put in the work, right? So yep. make sure you do that. <laughs> sure, sure. So, um, yeah, that's that's our tip number two. Uh, going on to tip number three, uh, following up with reference writers. This is a pretty big one, unfortunately. And of course, like I mentioned before, if there's a technical error on our part through our online application portal, you know, we will be the ones to reach out to the reference writer and say, hey, you know, that was our bad. Something's wrong with our system. Could you please submit that again? But there are a lot of applicants who do reach out to a reference writer, someone that they know, say, in August or September when the application is just starting up. And they'll say, hey, can you write me a reference letter? And the reference writer will say, sure, I'll do that. And they tell them the deadline. And then the reference writer forgets and doesn't submit it. And that's probably one of the most heartbreaking things for us to see because applicants are able to see on their online application portal if a reference writer has submitted or not. So that can be really hard for us in the office because it's a great applicant and we want them to pass. And then they find that their reference writer didn't submit on time and we can't let them go to the review or interview stage. Wow. And that's really hard. Um, so we, we have gotten a couple tearful calls and we definitely don't want to see that. So I would say the most important thing is for applicants to just check in with their reference writers every couple weeks, uh, just remind them of the deadline and have a backup writer available if at all possible we have had times where two days before the deadline, a reference writer had to back out and an applicant was suddenly in a massive panic. And we said, find someone who will write you a letter in 48 hours and we will accept it. Um, so definitely good to have a backup writer if possible, just in case a reference writer isn't able to take on that task because of a family emergency or any other reason. Okay. Yeah, that's a good, good one for sure. And I guess to stop you here, I guess a good chance to ask you, do you have any advice about choosing your reference writer? Is there any kind of person that works best or is there any kind of guidelines we should follow? Um, so we typically say that you want to choose someone who will gush about you in a reference letter. Um, mm -hmm. We do get some applicants who choose people who are just like higher up on the totem pole because they think that's going to look really good in the reference letter. But in all actuality, what we really want to see is that the reference writer knows you well. So not the dean of your school, you know, not some, not a principal who you met once or twice, but someone who has legitimately worked with you, has seen your passion 
for international work, has seen your passion for Japan, and knows you well personally, as mm. well as your work ethic. So that is what we really want to see in a, sta- in, um, in a letter of recommendation. Okay. And is there any kind of uh, in a perfect world, you have to get two reference letters, by the way. Is there any kind of – do you you like to have one from employer and one from education or does it not – that's too, thinking too deeply. It doesn't matter that much. It, it does matter for those who are still in university. Uh, so if they're still you know, getting their bachelor's degree, we do require that one of the letters has to come from someone at the university. Typically, that will become their professor or um, their advisor. But yeah, if they've already graduated, then it can be from anyone. But we definitely do like to see those from employers. Um, we do ask that people aren't getting them from anyone they oversee because we had someone try to submit one from one of their students and we were not having that. (laughs) (laughs) That must be a good one. A good letter. Yeah. Okay. 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 That's, that's good. So that's definitely good advice there. Let's get to number four. So uh, tip number four is submit online on time. Uh, We do have a pretty big change happening here in the States for the U.S. JET program in that our home office in Tokyo has officially given us the approval to move the application fully online. So, you know, JET alumni in the past definitely remember having to submit three sets of copies for their application. And even up till last year, we were requiring both online and hard copy document submission. But this year round, it's going to be fully online. So we're just trying to ask applicants to really make sure that they do hit the submit button by our deadline. Um, The deadline has been officially chosen by our office, and that's going to be November 17th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So definitely for those on the West Coast and over in Hawaii, please do make sure that you submit uh, by 11.59 Eastern Standard Time so that, you know, you don't wake up Sunday morning and realize that you didn't submit uh, by our deadline. So uh, we have lost some applicants uh, just by a couple minutes sometimes even um, who didn't realize that they needed to submit and upload everything by then. So please do make sure you get your stuff in on time, guys. We really do want to see those online applications this year. And we're hoping it will make the process a lot easier uh, now that you don't have to pay money for shipping and everything. Yeah, and in the hierarchy of ways to not get accepted to the JET program, this has to be the most Motainai one, if it happens, right? So, like, just push, make sure you push the button. And also, you should say, though, like, the JET program always, it saves your progress in the, in the online application, right? So you might think like, well, I got everything in there. I'll push it later, right? And then you don't forget, don't forget it, right? If you do, if you don't push it, it's over. Um, and also, this will be the end to the kind of paperclip jokes you sometimes hear, right? All the, which paperclips to use, you know? So many. We do we do check out Reddit sometimes and we we get a lot of questions on there of people saying like what color paper clip should I use and we're just like any one you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well that, there's a rumor that used to be a thing. I don't know if maybe way before you were there I'm sure but there used to be like put the red, put the paper clips on the right side of the paper and all this stuff. I don't know if it's ever true. It's <laughs> just a rumor, you know. Just a rumor I think. Um but definitely there were stricter rules in the past um but we've definitely gotten a little bit easier. We want to get as many applicants as possible and we don't want to disqualify someone for a really small mistake, like if they put a staple in wrong. So no worries on that. Um, it just, yeah, it's going to make it a lot easier now that there's no paper clips or staples to worry about at all. Yeah, there's definitely one huge uh, worry. People things, things people worry about out of the picture. So let's go to number five. All right, number five. Uh, so that is checking your proof of graduation date. Um, this is something that we would hope applicants would do, um, but unfortunately, there are some 
you know, different rules depending on the school when it comes to their proof of graduation document. And specifically, that is because a lot of our applicants are still getting their bachelor's degrees when they apply to us, which is totally fine. But the government of Japan does need proof that they are going to graduate on time before they leave for Japan. Um, otherwise, we can't issue them a visa at the embassy or at the consulates. So when they get their proof of graduation document that usually lists out all their um, it credits and says, oh, yeah, this student is due to graduate on, say, May 18th, 2019. That looks fine to us. That's perfect. But there are some times where sometimes credits from a different school or if they went to study abroad, maybe those credits haven't come on to that proof of graduation document yet. And so the school's like computer system isn't recognizing that that person is going to graduate on time before our deadline. So then it becomes the document says, oh, yeah, this person won't graduate until May 2021. And to us, that's not proof that they're going to graduate on time. So we really recommend that people are checking their proof of graduation dates to make sure that all the information is correct. We have unfortunately had to disqualify some people because they sent us a proof of graduation document that showed they weren't graduating before they would depart for Japan. And then they would call us a couple months later and say, I didn't check my document. And we would say, we know, <laughs> we do know, <laughs> unfortunately. So yeah, just making sure that people confirm if the date is actually correct about when they think that they are graduating. And just to be sure. So what if I see it? And, Whoa, this date's wrong. Do I just call my school and they can kind of take care of exactly. it? What would you know what to do in that case? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we, we typically tell applicants, you know, especially because a lot of them are still at school when they're getting these documents. So as soon as you receive it from your registrar, check the date. And if it's wrong, just go in. Like they are very nice people. We've called them several times to confirm some information about transcripts. And so, you know, depending on the school, you can easily walk in and tell them this date is wrong. I took these credits. Can you please look into this? And if there is an issue, like an applicant can always you know, talk to our office. And we do want to make sure that they're getting their documents in on time. So we want to help them as much as we're able. Mm, yeah, that's and I think it's a key point to say is you guys are really your goal is to get everyone that's uh, qualified to get there to be in Japan. It's not like your goal is to disqualify people. You know what I mean? Like some people have that kind of image, right? You know, like you guys are the evil guys that, you know, any mistakes. See, ya, you know, it's not like that, right? It's really not. And it is like legitimately sad for us to see really good applicants get like disqualified and to lose their chance because we've read their statement of purposes and we know how qualified they are, but then maybe they're missing a document or maybe their reference writer didn't submit on time. And that's hard for us to see. And that's why we wanted to do this campaign, like tell people about these five tips so that they don't have to go through that. We want to see more people going to Japan. We want to see them engaged in grassroots communication and exchange with the Japanese people. And that's why we started all this. Mm -hmm, that's good. Yeah. So let's do a quick recap. Tip number one is request official documents as soon as you can, right? Don't mess around. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait until the last minute. Do it. Get it as soon as you can. Tip number two, send every single transcript. So even if you have one credit of, you know, music studies in college, in community college across this country, you have to get that transcript basically, right? Yep. There you go. Number three, please follow reference writers. I think this is kind of the hardest one because it's kind of the most... The, the, the one that's out of your hands the most, right? Because you are counting on yes. someone else. So it's kind of, it's, it's tough, but it's up to you to follow up with them and make sure you choose someone good. Number four, be sure to submit online on time. I'm not going to go too deep into this one, guys. Tip number five, check your proof of graduation date. So that's kind of, check what date is you're, you're expected to graduate anything. If that's wrong, call the school, go to the school, see what's going on. 
Um, I do want to put out if there's any, you're going to share this on your social media too, right? So um, let's just we let's are, share yes. that. Yeah, share that on. So Twitter is Jet Program and Facebook is JetProgram.USA. And there's one for every country, I believe, right? So, uh, but I'm sure this is going to be shared everywhere, right? Yes. So it's mainly focused in the Jet Program USA, just because these are uh, tips that are focused on what we've been seeing from our applicants. So, you know, people in New Zealand or Australia might not be having the same issues with their applicants. For example, maybe they have different issues that they'd like to portray um, or tell their applicants about. But we definitely hope that this will be shared. And especially from our JET alumni, like they all know how long and arduous the application process is. And so to be disqualified for, you know, a really simple mistake, such as forgetting a postmark or not checking your proof of graduation date is kind of in Japanese, like kuyashi. It, it yeah. just, it's, it really sucks, honestly. So yeah. we want to make sure that our alumni, if they have someone that they know who is applying for the JET program, just to, you know, direct them to our page, tell them to contact us and also to check out our social media campaign when we make these five tips live. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So oh, great. So just, you know, these tips are going to be good. Be sure to follow them. If you're, if you're interested in getting a hired in the jet program, you should, you should follow the people you're trying to get hired for, right? It's smart anyway. Yes. <laughs> so just, just do that. Um, so I think a little bit more time here with you. So I, would, I want to take advantage of my chance here. Uh, so just to be sure, let me tell me if I say anything wrong about this, the, the process here. So you get an application online yep. then you open it up and see if it has everything required, right? Correct. That's it. And then if it has everything required, then it moves to the review stage or there's something before that. Uh, no, that's that's actually exactly how it goes. Um, applicants will submit their online application. And then typically, as soon as they've submitted online, it'll generate a PDF for them to print out. They send us that along with all their other hard copy documents. As soon as we get those documents, we can double check both their online and their hard copy application, make sure that nothing's missing, you know, no transcripts aren't able to be viewed or no reference letters are missing, for example. And then once all those documents are confirmed to be there, we send it on to review and that's where our team of reviewers takes over okay so i guess a, a few grab bag here of, of smaller questions i thought up of and some people yeah. uh gave me some ideas for uh, how about um there's some place on your resume on the any uh, online application where you know you you, you can't you don't really have anything right you, you 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 some people are scared of leaving blanks what i'm trying to say uh oh, or, or how much of an impact does blank spaces on you is it a big deal is it is it a big deal if there's too many is it okay to have some what do you think what's the, what's the what's the guideline say about that no, it's definitely okay to have some. We, of course, don't want people to to lie on their application just to make up for some blank spots. Um, if someone doesn't have, you know, professional teaching experience, for example, they can always, you know, think back, have they ever done any tutoring in their schools, anything even unprofessional, um, where they are just doing uh, more of a volunteer basis that they're not getting paid for. That's, of course, something we do want to see because it shows initiative. Uh, and so I think it's definitely okay to have blank spaces on their application. Um, if the whole application is blank, that does give us some concern. Uh, yes. I will say we have run across a couple of those in our time where we've wondered why they have applied. Um, but oh yeah, by and large, it's okay to have things that you haven't done before. And it's okay to, of course, you know, not know any Japanese, for example, because we know that that's a skill and an experience that they're going to gain once they get over to Japan. It's really just about showing the initiative and the drive to learn those things that you don't have already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Then I'm going to challenge myself here. I always say it's better to, I think the choices are one beginner, two is novice. I think I forget the the, 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 the wording there. There's right. like beginner and novice, right? So I always say, Hey, if you can get it to novice, get it to novice before you apply. Right. You're saying though, that doesn't matter that much. There's no kind of, Oh, this person's a beginner. So they're a step 
up below someone that's a novice or does that matter or, or not? We definitely do like to see people who have Japanese language ability or at least have worked on it a little bit. But no, it's not definitely the, the biggest part of the application. By far, that is the statement of purpose. So okay. yeah, of course, if someone wants to study and we always recommend that or if someone contacts us in the summer and they say, how can I make my application better? We always encourage them to do any kind of volunteer work or join any international communities so that they can get some experience and try that cross-cultural exchange before they even go to Japan. They may find that they don't enjoy it. and Those aren't the people we want to send. So we want people to have some sort of experience with what they're they're saying that they're interested in. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how about um, placement, right? So you can write three places you want to go and you can give a reason. Uh, mm-hmm. How does placement actually work? Like, does, does, does it have to, do the worlds have to align perfectly to be able to send where you really <laughs> want to go? Or how, how does that work? How, how much does placement do you care about where someone says they want to go? Um, I will say it is very interesting for us to read the placement requests and the reasons why people want to go there. Um, but unfortunately, I don't have too much say in the placement itself. Uh, that's definitely something that our Tokyo office takes care of. So as soon as someone goes off to Japan, or sorry, as soon as someone sends their application off to Japan, from our consulates, uh, they're the ones who sort of take on matching our ALTs and our CIRs with their boards of education or with their contracting organizations as well. So we actually don't have any say in the placement process. So it's it's interesting for us to see and then to later check once we get the list back from Tokyo saying, here are the people we want to hire and here's where they're going. We do like to check sometimes and say, oh, like that person, oh yeah, they got Fukuoka and they requested Fukuoka. That's awesome. But we do, of course, see some people who you know, requested Hokkaido and then got put down in Okinawa. So <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a mystery for us at times too. Um, but yeah, we, we know that Tokyo is doing a great job in trying to match not only the applicant's request, but also, you know, really focusing hard on what the boards of education need in their time and in their areas, because sometimes they really want someone who has experience with for example, like I mentioned before, a science background so that they can work with a science club in the school that wants to learn English as well. So yeah, definitely Tokyo does a lot of hard work in making those placements, but I unfortunately don't know exactly how it's done myself. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask about that because, you know, Tokyo seemed like this kind of people that are trying to get on the JET program, they know Tokyo kind of is this mysterious thing, right? So is it kind of, can it be frustrating when you kind of don't know what they're doing? Is there any kind of frustration involved in that? Like, can, can you ask a question directly to them and they can answer it? Or is it kind of, what's the communication like? Uh, yeah, so um, definitely for a coordinator position, sometimes uh, using Japanese is pretty essential. Um, I wish my Japanese was a lot better, but uh, we do correspond with our home office in Tokyo. A lot of that correspondence is done between, you know, our supervisor, our diplomats within the embassy. Uh, they talk to Tokyo for us sometimes and then relay the information that Tokyo has for us to then take on any new projects or activities they want us to focus on for the year. Uh, but of course, we do have times where we're like, we really need to ask this question very quickly. Let's just email Tokyo right now. And so we'll reach out to the people who are working over in the offices there, Claire, Mofa, Mex, et cetera, and ask them, hey, can you clarify this information for us? We don't really understand what this guideline is trying to get across. Um, and they will, of course, answer us very quickly. There is a bit of a time difference, of course. So we wait about you know 12 to 15 hours usually, but they're, they're quite responsive. They want to make sure that the program runs as smoothly as possible too. Okay, that's cool. And and I guess the follow up to that is, you know, to- Tokyo chooses where people go. And maybe you, you probably that means you probably don't know. But I've heard some stories about like some B- Board of Education in Japan are like really crazy. Like, okay, we want 
a red-haired guy from <laughs> Canada because we had a great is that, is that is there anything truth to that? Sometimes they have this crazy request like really specific people. Um not as specific as red-haired, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 not that far, but, yeah. Yeah, but we definitely do get requests for people who can drive, for example. Um that's probably one of the biggest ones we see, uh, especially, you know, further out into the mountains. So for our upgrades in particular, for those jets who, you know, were alternates and then get upgraded throughout the summer, um, a lot of times, especially after placements have already been made, if another shortlisted jet drops out, for example, because of a family or medical emergency, then that board of education will say, okay, we need someone next on your list who has a driver's license because the person before had one too. And that is required in order to live in our area. All right, this leads to my next question. Great question I sometimes get. Uh, What if your preference is to not drive, but you have the ability? Is it better to put you can drive because that opens up more doors for you? Or should you be honest and just say, I can't drive because you don't want to? Uh, I would say be honest. Um, If you do not want to drive or you do not have a driver's license or you're not confident in your ability to drive, you know, please do let us know. It definitely doesn't have any effect on your application. There are hundreds, thousands of locations in Japan where it's not required for, you know, jets to have a driver's license. And certainly Japan is the land of public transportation. We all know how incredible the train system can be. So yeah, I definitely recommend that, you know, please, please don't be worried if you can't drive or you don't feel comfortable doing so. Uh, the last thing we want is someone getting put in a driving location uh, and suddenly getting in an accident, for example, because they they aren't actually able to drive, but said that they were. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. That's one rumor we can debunk right now. It's not it's not uh, beneficial to say I can drive when you you know you have to. Is if you have put a lot of effort into be, making yourself drive, that wouldn't be smart either, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Because there are definitely mountainous regions in Japan. So uh, for those of us who have driven like the small K cars trying to get up a mountain, we we know how difficult it can be for even someone who is very skilled at driving. So definitely, if you don't think you have the capability, like feel free to put that you don't drive and you'll be totally fine. There you go, guys. That that mystery is is cleared. Okay, so some questions from the salty alternates now. Um, How do you come up with the alternates, right? Is there some kind of list where, you know, say you have 10 people and five are awesome? And then you have two semi-awesome people. Do the semi-awesome people go alternate? How does that work? Yeah. So um, the way the process works after interview in particular is that, you know, each of the consulates of Japan, we have jet coordinators at all of them. So that jet coordinator at each of the consulates will put together, you know, a full list of the people who we're recommending should go to Japan as a jet. And then we send that off with, you know, all the documents that we get um, and send that to Tokyo. Our home office is the one that makes the final decision. So typically it'll take them about a month or so. They do have to go through a lot of information. So we send them Excel sheets, uh, hard copy documents, et cetera. And yeah, they they send back a list of those who they'd like to be shortlisted and those who they'd like to be alternate. And we make the announcement from there. So it typically takes about a month and a half after interview before we can get that information out, which is definitely a long waiting process, I know. But um, yeah, we're, we're confident that Tokyo is making the best decisions about who should be shortlisted and alternate. And then, of course, for alternates, um, you know, they can be upgraded up until December of that same year. Um, that said, you know, um, there are limited spots available. So, uh, we definitely don't want everyone putting their eggs in like the same jet basket. So if there is like another opportunity that they have in front of them, you know, feel free to go for it. Of course, um, it's important to take advantage of the the chances and opportunities ahead of you. And they might find that they get an even better opportunity than the jet program. And if they don't, then maybe they'll get the call by December and be ready to go to Japan in a couple weeks. Yeah, I know a lot of people that 
tried to find a different way to Japan and they got accepted. But yep. then, you know, then Jet said, oh, hey, we, we have a spot for you. And then they can yeah. do that and there's no problem, you know. So just don't 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 make your put all your Japanese dreams into the jet basket. Like you said, that's a good good advice there. Um, exactly. Also, I want to say if you're kind of, you know, some people obviously get pretty salty when they get turned down or they get alternate. So the the, the place to, to, to yell at is, you know, in the air towards Tokyo, right? It's not towards your hiring area, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, we, we do feel, you know, we do feel for the alternates and I was an alternate myself on the Earlham college program that I went on. So I do understand what it's like to be in that waiting game. Um, and I was of course ecstatic when the call came through that I was being upgraded. Um, but yeah, I I do understand the most important thing is to make sure that jet isn't the only dream you have, you know, and like you mentioned, it's not the only way to get to Japan. There are so many other different, uh, English conversation schools and directions direct hire opportunities that people can can make it to Japan through. So, yeah, I mean, of course, if someone wants to reapply to the JET program in the future, we would welcome their application. Uh, about the, well, last question about alternates here. So is there, you know, there's some kind of people think that um, once you get, let's say you get alternate, but then you didn't get, uh, you didn't get upgraded. And then the next year, is there anything extra you have to show to get to get uh, hired that next year or do you follow the same guidelines? Do you have to show any kind of growth? Do, do you look at that specifically or is it, Hey, this is a fresh applicant. Here we go. What, what, what has that work? Oh, well, so we definitely recommend that if someone was made an alternate, you know, of course, um, one of the downsides of the jet process is that we aren't able to give feedback. So it is hard for someone who is an alternate, you know, to think, Oh, I was so close. What about my application didn't get me to shortlist? And that is hard. Um, but I was an alternate myself for my program as well, which was always fun. Um, but yeah, definitely it can be interesting trying to make a brand new application and we don't look at the old application for sure. Um, so it is essentially a brand new application, but it is important for us to see, you know, someone coming into the interview who, does have new ideas, who has learned new things. So even though we're not looking at the old application, we just hope that they are bringing a bit more to the table this year around. Okay, that's cool. Okay, so it does it does matter, but it's not a huge thing. Right. What your yeah. growth. Okay, okay, that's cool. Okay, two more questions for me. Thanks for your time here. I got two more questions. Zoom by, I'm here. Uh, so some people worry about um, the meta, meta, uh, medical side of things, right? You have to put anything in like, you know, how detail? How important is it to put every single thing? Right. Some people don't want to put too much because they say, "Oh, that's too many problems. I don't want to put that." <laughs> they don't worry about that, right? But do you recommend putting every single thing, only the major stuff? Uh, you kind of had a mental illness maybe ten years ago, but now you don't at all. What do you recommend there? Right. Yeah. So um, with the jet application, you know, there is the self-report of medical conditions. So on that document, applicants do have to tell us all of their medical matters, anything physical or mental in the past five years. Um, If it was something really serious, you know, like a a major surgery seven years ago, then they're certainly free to put that on as well. Um, It is um, something that we do require, unfortunately. Um, And if there is something on there that we classify as like something that is less minor. So if someone has asthma, then, you know, that's something that's definitely going to be easy to get through in Japan. But if it's something in regards to, oh, you know, I had open heart surgery, um, then we want to make sure that their doctor is okaying them to go live and work in Japan, which is why we require a physician statement for some, uh, for some conditions. And so that's when the doctor would, you know, type out or write out all the conditions that the applicant has. And they say, oh, this person did have open heart surgery. For example, they're taking this medication, this medication, um, every day, every other day. 
And I think that they would be 100% okay to go live and work in Japan. Um, We have received some physician statements from a doctor saying, I actually don't think this person would be okay to work in Japan. And that's a little hard to see. Um, But yeah, the, the applicants receive it from the physician. So yeah, we just, we hope that, you know, they understand themselves and their bodies okay or well enough when they're headed over to Japan to live in a foreign country where it might be difficult to get medications that they're aware of. Yeah, it's better. I always say don't hide stuff, right? It's not worth it, right? You that's know? the thing. And if, yeah, that's the problem is that sometimes people do hide things. And then if it comes out later, that is cause for disqualification. If someone lied on an application and said, yeah, I have no issues whatsoever. And then later it came out that, uh, yeah, that they had a serious condition, then Tokyo might say, well, you lied to us. And then the applicant might not end up going. Mm-hmm, yeah. So just don't do that, guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last question for me. I think it's an easy one. Um, this, But this is an important one. So you obviously you listening in, in, to the interviews, you know what you like, you know what you don't like. Can you give us some basic advice here for the interview? It's a very important step, of course. So what's your uh, kind of advice you give people for the interview? Um, probably the, the best advice we can give is to show your enthusiasm for working with students. The majority of the people who go over on the program are ALTs. And so it's, it's hard for us to see someone who looked really great on paper. You know, they have this incredible experience, but in the interview, they don't seem too gung ho about actually working with kids, working with students and teaching English. And so that, that can be rough, uh, definitely to see when we thought we had a really good applicant a really good future jet. And then to find that they're just kind of blase about everything. Um, so definitely being able to show that energy and that drive to go work over in Japan, definitely adaptability as well. Uh, a lot of our alumni are aware that sometimes we like to do some more difficult questions in the interview to catch people off guard um, and see how they might react to that. Uh, because there are a lot of things that will catch you off guard in Japan that you might not be ready for. Uh, so we want to make sure that people are on their toes um, and are, are ready to take whatever challenges come at them, I would say. So yeah, seeing that energy, that enthusiasm, and that adaptability within the interview is important for us. Um, eye contact, also very important when you're talking to interviewers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, then I guess I guess that's all for me. I, mean, I probably could go on way more, but I mean, we've been talking for an hour and you shared a lot of awesome stuff. So yeah, I will share, send everyone, of course, to Twitter, Jet Program. All the links will be at altinsider.com. Obviously, the Facebook, Facebook, jetprogram.usa, Twitter, Jet Program, and of course, the website, jetprogramusa.org. And all the other countries, you can find the websites from there too, so it's easy. But uh, Kai, I guess I'll ask for your, fine of, your kind of final advice here. Anything you want to share for the final people sitting at home, wide-eyed, imagining <laughs> their life in Japan? They want to go in the Jet Program. What should they know? Give us some kind of final closing advice here. Uh, final closing advice, uh, would be that you're all amazing. Um, we believe in you and we really, really do want you to apply. We really do believe that you will be an incredible jet. It's just a matter of reading the instructions and, you know, calling us if you have any questions. We really do truly want to get you on the program and send you over to Japan so you can become an incredible cultural exchange ambassador. So it's in your best interest and our best interest to work together. And we really hope that you'll apply this year. There you go, guys. Well, Kaya, thanks for your time so much. I mean, it's really cool to talk to someone that works at Jet. It's kind of, I know this interview is not something that Jet does a lot, and it's really cool that they gave me the opportunity for this. I'm really hyped about it, and I like helping people get on Jet as well. It's really fun to see people in Japan, and, and it's it's just fun. So uh, I'm sure that's a really rewarding part of your job as well, is, you know, get to see people that, you know, get to Japan and have a lot of fun. So that's got to be a cool part of your job for sure. 
Very much. Departure day is one of our favorites in the office, seeing everyone wide eyed and eager to get on the flight to go over to Tokyo. That's probably the best day of the whole year. Awesome. So yeah, we'll keep it rocking and rolling. Um, I guess I could ask, what, is there uh, any idea of your future with Jet? Is there any kind of next level up there for you? You're eyeing or you just want to stay, stay where you're at for a while? I definitely want to continue in the international education sector. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to see what's next for me. I'd love to, you know, uh, work further with Jet in the future and especially, you know, keep on reviewing applications and hopefully even interview one day. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really excited to see where the future takes me. There we go, guys. Kaya, a lot of fun today. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much, James. Have a good one. I really hope you enjoyed today's Inside Japan podcast. Dive deeper into our world and learn more about what awaits you. Check out ALTinsider.com. And for regular up-to-the-minute job postings, check into jobsinjapan.com for the next big gig. Please tune in for our regular excursions into the world of Japan and good luck. Gambate! Don't